So I was asked to do a political talk basically um, here in Longmont, Colorado, where I live. I have a local friend, her name is Marianne, um, and she is kind of starting this uh, like a awakening group, uh, political group of, of activists who are kind of embedding themselves inside of the Republican Party. Um, and, and just to say that the Republican Party is, isn't, isn't perfect, however, um, unlike the collectivism and the cultural Marxism that exists today in the Democrat Party, uh, it's also very hard uh, to do anything in the Democrat Party. Um, that is a very, very hyper um, political group that is really um, difficult to actually infiltrate or to kind of get candidates or people that are decent inside of that party. Uh, so with that being said, um, the Republican Party seems to be more of the viable option. Even out here in Colorado, a lot of people think that they're, that Colorado is kind of like a Democrat state, uh, when in reality, it's really not. Um, Boulder, Colorado, and Denver, Colorado are these Democrat strongholds. Um, Colorado Springs, which is a pretty large city, uh, as well as um, uh, Frisco, and I mean, there's a handful, but they're all actually conservative Republican voting cities. Uh, so there really isn't a lot of Democrat ambiance here. Uh, it's only in these very concentrated metropolitan areas. Um, and so I happen to live in Longmont, which is kind of this conservative enclave uh, just east of the Rocky Mountains, um, and it's north of Denver. So anyways, I uh, was asked to do this kind of like, you know, because of the podcast and some of the things we get to talk about on here have to deal with geopolitical things, um, the politics of today, and then how it is essentially the matrix, right? And that's a political matrix as well as the financial matrix and, and the spiritual matrix. And of course, we've got the health or medical matrix that we talk about. We cover all of them and uh, they are equally and all kind of uh, working in simpatico with one another. Um, and so it, but however, it's great to take them one by one, right. And in, in each of their pieces. Uh, so I actually been writing notes of just little things of, uh, inspirations that have come to me. I think in the past two weeks, I was being asked to do this talk, uh, this Thursday evening, I've got this talk to do. Um, and then next, I believe next Wednesday or Thursday, I'm doing another, I'm being asked to talk again um, to, the, to a different crowd of people, but like similar, I guess you could say, still, still in the same community um, and still interested in the same political philosophies and political thinking. And so I actually just did this talk, uh, I did a talk at a um, coffee shop here in Longmont. I was asked to speak there um, and a lot of people apparently loved the conversation. Um, and so for those of you who are listening now and you were at that talk, um, welcome to the podcast. We talk about a lot of different things here and it's a lot of stuff that's not being covered on any of these other kind of shows that I see on Rumble and YouTube and podcasts and different things. We're, we're really talking about the nitty gritty details um, and I just sort of assume that my audience is intelligent people people who do their own research, of course, uh, people who are already in the know on a lot of things. Um, and I do reach out to people who have no idea what's going on. And, and those are the types of people I kind of want to address today. So some of the things I think uh, that I want to share 
they do deal around politics and of course for a political group so it may be a little targeted in that sense however i want it to reach those people who like i mentioned don't find themselves to be hyper political um, don't find themselves to uh, be in the nature of politics and so um, one of the first things that i wanted to mention is that if you go up to a millennial today and you ask them, hey, do you think that Nancy Pelosi is a corrupt politician? What do you think that they're going to say? Most millennials are not going to say, yes, she's a corrupt politician. And they're not going to say, no, she's not corrupt. She's, she's so perfect and, and great, great politician. Um, most millennials will say, who's Nancy Pelosi? And that's kind of the idea that I want to press on a lot of political thinkers, which is that millennials, but also I would even say, averagely speaking, most people in general, the general populace, they don't know about politics. I will say that most people have, uh, or, or we are a living in a time where a lot more people a larger percentage of the population demographic have become interested in political thinking, political ideology, and politics in general over the past six years. Really, ever since Trump took office um, or even ran his campaign. I would say Trump was what got people's eyes on politics for the first time in probably decades, decades. Um, and, and of course, awakening a generation of young people who had no idea about politics. That's what Trump did. And that actually was both if you hated him and if you loved him. So it's regardless of hate or love, you are watching, right? You are all of a sudden paying attention to politics because it became a form of entertainment when Trump ran for office and then, of course, succeeded, became president for four years. And so... Now, of course, people are watching the accelerated uh, uh, decline of America and the world through the bioweapon release of COVID-19, the pandemic shutdowns, not really the pandemic itself, but the shutdowns themselves, and how it affected the psychology uh, on a mass scale, okay, so people have become interested now. Because of that, because there was such a global pandemic, it was is to bring in global governance. And we've experienced this and we've all been witness to it. However, even with all of that happening in the last four to six years, all of it from Trump's rise to power, populism, political upheavals all over the place and the pandemic, the awakening all of these other things, and now we're dealing with other external crises like war and food shortages and things like that. All of that has awakened a lot of people and has gotten them at the very least interested in the conversation around politics. However, they don't know the internal dialogue that I think some of us, even listening to this podcast, tend to live inside of. Um, we're so in our bubble of talking about political things that you're, you're mentioning names and concepts throwing around so easily on your Facebook or your social media or in conversation with people that you're assuming people know even the context of what you're talking about when in reality, people don't know the context. They have no idea who Nancy Pelosi is. 
even if you said that she's corrupt, if you ask the question if she's corrupt or not, most responses will probably be, especially with the millennials, would be, who is Nancy Pelosi? So uh, that gives you the reminder of kind of a head fake, if you will, of you are basically wanting people to do more or awaken or whatever, or at the very least, you think that millennials are manipulated, which they are in many cases. However, they don't know what is really going on. They don't know the situations. So I wanted to start that conversation and kind of actually mention that to these people who are in this political, uh, of they will be at this political event. Imagine the, the context of this particular thing that I'm doing, right? It's a political event. It's a Republican event. And so I wanted to kind of remind them of that exact thing. Now, um, gosh, I just love it. I'm drinking Tangy Tangerine, by the way. Those of you who don't know, um, I offer Tangy Tangerine through the link here in the podcast description. Sell those products. And it's, it, you know, been drinking it for seven years. It's all the micronutrition in one product. It's so you just can't beat it. Um, but moving on here. Look, there's so much I wanted to talk about. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to mention that we are basically living through a changing world order. Um, if you have not already seen Ray Dalio's changing world order YouTube video, 42 minutes long, um, very, very great animations, very great um, sort of uh, illustrations, and I think the descriptions used to um, bring the average person into the concept of changing world orders. Because uh, a lot of people talk about the new world order. Well, there's a lot of concepts of the new world order. It really depends on who you ask. Um, the new world order uh, is, a, I would say it would be like a Russia-China dominant world uh, because right now it's an Anglo-Saxon dominant world, meaning like American-British kind of combine after World War II and the Bretton Woods Act of uh, 1944, which made the US dollar the world reserve currency, things like that. That is a new world order. That is the new world order um, because America is the dominant nation as of right now. However, with the recent, especially a recent declines and then even an acceleration of that decline during Joe Biden's presidency, America has put itself in a position where it could be taken over by a new world order. Now, of course, then there's the more, uh, there's the new world order concept that revolves around uh, the, you know, the United Nations um, and the World Economic Forum, uh, the policies coming out of the Davos group, uh, the policies coming out of the World Health Organization, which is tied to the United Nations, which is tied to the Rockefeller Rothschild combines, which make up the Davos group, right? Make up uh, domestically the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, all of these organizations are trying to implement a world order, uh, a world governance, right? And they made that attempt with the treaty, the World Health Organization treaty, where they, uh, where all the nations who sign on to this treaty would have to abide by world 
health organization dictates when it comes to pandemics and health issues, right? So that, oh, we're, and the excuse for them was the world is suffering with health issues. And when we are entering, especially a world pandemic, we need world government to solve that problem. And if everyone just listened to the world government, the whole world would be better, right? And we learned that that's absolutely not true. We look at places like Florida who were setting the standard for uh, the gold standard really for how to deal with a pandemic, not to use masks or force masks, not not to really force the vaccines um, and just to do things in an appropriate manner to um, mediate the losses of a pandemic, even though it was all, it wasn't even, it was 99.999% survival rate, you know, like all the different elements of what COVID was. Um, so we've been watching that and that is kind of a part of a new world order. However, um, as of recently, if you don't know this, the China, Russia, Brazil, India, and South Africa are creating a new world order. They are creating summits uh, and they're trying to meet and have conversations and dialogue. And these are, we're talking about, uh, if you combine all of these countries, they would make up the largest economy in the world. However, the US is the largest economy in the world in terms of nation, they're the largest nation economy. But when you create uh, alliances due to bad policy domestically in our country and a, a part of the, the, the West, really, just all of Europe, right? Uh, they're aligning themselves uh, with each other against this other alliance, which is Russia, China, and stuff. So if you combine Russia, China, Brazil, India, South Africa, they make up the largest population demographic and the largest economies in the in the world, right? Because there are a bunch of different nations, very highly populated nations. And so that's kind of this alignment that's happening now. And I was going to mention here in this talk that um, and I'm not going to mention all of this, by the way. The podcast is going to be the long-form version right now because uh, I know that I'm only going to get 10 minutes or 15 minutes to speak at these events uh, to begin with. So I kind of want to be able to run through some ideas here on the podcast and expand on them, whereas when I do this talk maybe in, in, in person here in the next uh, couple days, I will be able to kind of give a little glimpse of it and then kind of refer back to this podcast. So... We're living in a new world order, uh, but this world order is this alliance, right? This China, Russia, Brazil, India, South Africa alliance. And this is because the West has failed in its policymaking, especially monetarily, um, especially when it comes to foreign affairs, dealing with wars, and being this sort of this world alliance that was creating peace and quote unquote democracy around the world when w what we've witnessed is anti-democratic. I mean, look at Libya and taking over Libya because they wanted to use the dinar to uh, to sell their oil instead of the U.S. dollar on, a, on an international scale. So we go over there and we, we created ISIS and overturned Libya. I mean, we turned it into a shit country. It is a shit whole country. Um, it's probably, I think if number one or number two, most violent countries in the world now is Libya. When 20 years ago, Libya was considered a very, you know, pretty nice African country to visit for most Europeans, most foreigners. It became a, a vacation destination. It was a vacation destination. It has a lot of history, rich, rich, rich history in Libya. Uh, and now all of a sudden, that's just not the case anymore. So 
Um, very interesting thing going on with the New World Order. And as long as America is not valuing itself and turning itself into a uh, domestic powerhouse in terms of energy, uh, in terms of resources, in terms of economics, in terms of democracy, and uh, I guess you could say uh, really just the republic or republicanism, because we're not really a democracy here, we are a republic. And so I just figured that uh, unless we see some radical change going a different direction, showing American strength and power um, and, and allowing the world to model in our behavior, uh, we are watching as autocratic authoritarian state vassal states like Russia and China take over the world. Uh, in terms of their economy, in terms of their natural resources, in terms of how they are governing their nations. Um, China, more of a communist sort of capitalist hybrid model that is authoritarian, which is a, uh, it is an autocratic state there. Of course, it's communist uh, more than anything in terms of government, but it is using capitalism to, to uh, garner its strength and power around the world using trade and commerce. Uh, and then, look, I mean, this is kind of the world that we live in. And I think that we have to kind of understand that. Another aspect of this is there's going to be some local candidates there uh, and and as well as congressional candidates there that are actually going to be speaking on the same podium, apparently, that I'm speaking on, uh, which, again, that's just goes to show you sometimes with this podcast and, and different different elements here, um, I'm just going to be continuing to, to be invited, I think, to speak and, and give my I guess, wisdom. I, I'm not sure what this is all about. I mean, even if you're listening now and then you you heard me there at the at, at the talk here I'm doing in a few days, um, you know, I just think that it's because of the way that I maybe I deliver information uh, or just that I'm younger and I know some of this stuff is impressive or valuable to some of these people who are asking me to speak. I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, however, I will show up and do my absolute very best to bring up as many topics as possible. And so anyways, uh, we will be speaking to local as well as congressional federal candidates uh, at this event. Um, and so one of the big topics of conversation will and should be about the finances of our nation and how the United States essentially is becoming insolvent. Um, we are no longer producing and our financial status as a nation is uh, almost essentially bankrupt. Um, and we have to turn that around. Um, one of the things we need to talk about is Bitcoin and gold reserves. Um, and in terms of Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, but Bitcoin in particular, uh, we have to focus as a call, like the state of Colorado and any state that's listening to this right now. But and, as, and it, when it comes to like running a city right now or local government or running a state right now, I think that we really have to understand the concept of cryptocurrency and knowing that the current financial system with the Federal Reserve printing money, loaning money to the United States Treasury, and this cycle of abuse that has been happening since 1913, this kind of thing is coming to an end. I wouldn't say the U.S. dollar is going to collapse or anything like that. There's, there's, I'm still kind of bullish on the U.S. dollar. Um, however, China and the Chinese yuan are gaining strength, and it's gradual, but it is significant. Okay, and also what's gaining strength is Bitcoin. Now, of course, Bitcoin has fallen to a, a, a very a, a low, I think a two-year low at this moment of recording this, but I'm still bullish long-term on Bitcoin. And so this would be considered an, an accumulation period for, let's say, the state treasury of Colorado. So one of the things I want to discuss is how um, 
our state treasury here in Colorado shouldn't rely on the taxes that are taxed on the citizens of Colorado um, and for revenue building, right? It should invest in aspects of gold and silver and Bitcoin so that the state treasury is safe from a world financial collapse. We have to protect the economic system that exists inside of this state, even if that means that Colorado prints its own state currency that is backed by a combination of gold and or Bitcoin. You know, imagine having a currency that is backed by real assets. Now, people can have a whole debate about Bitcoin and whether or not it's a tangible asset, uh, but no one can argue with the blockchain concept and how this blockchain concept adds the tangibility of a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. And in particular, Bitcoin is the, the most decentralized system because of the way it is developed. It is not maybe the most efficient for transactions. It may not be the only thing that's gonna be valuable in the future. However, Bitcoin has that stable coin um, reserve status uh, that is developing, but it is still sound in my opinion. So. Colorado politicians need to start getting ahead of these things, recognizing and realizing that our state treasury in this, in this state should create a currency or, or start printing its own Colorado dollars that are backed by Bitcoin. This is a totally innovative idea, but Florida is already starting to think about this. Uh, in Miami, Miami is considered the Bitcoin capital of the world now because of the mayor of Miami. And I wouldn't say that person's a Democrat, even though they probably are. Uh, I would say they're more of an independent if you listen to the way that they communicate with their, with their people. Uh, and so I think that we have to kind of start having those very similar conversations around Bitcoin and around gold and silver. Also consider that Colorado is a gold rich state. Um, and there are things about the gold and the gold mining that I am not hundred percent sure of. I'd love to be educated on why, why we're not mining for gold as much as we were. Do we feel that we've run dry here on gold mining and, and gold in general of where are the gold deposits, if you will, here in Colorado. So there's, there's aspects of that, that we have to focus on just like Texas should focus heavily bullishly on oil. You know, they need to just start mining or, or uh, uh, not mining oil, <laughs> um, drilling for oil, getting as much oil as humanly possible, um, and, and then selling it on local markets in, in, uh, uh in Texas, I think that they should be building refineries like crazy in Port Arthur and, and in Houston, Texas. These are these are conversations that Texans should be having about oil, very bullish on oil and, and completely disregarding and suing the federal government and the EPA for even thinking of trying to stop uh, production of oil. So that's another aspect, right? So I don't know exactly. I'd love to have an open dialogue around gold in particular. Why aren't we mining for gold and silver in Colorado? Or again, like I already said, are we running dry here? Is are, are the best geog uh, uh, geographers? Yep. Yeah, geographers. I can't even, um, geologists are the, are the, are the most well-known geologists essentially concluding that, that somehow Colorado doesn't have enough gold. I just feel like Colorado, the state itself, the, co the government here should be funding gold mining projects or uh, subsidizing them uh, because the state treasury should be full of, of a diverse portfolio of gold, silver, Bitcoin, and U.S. Federal Reserve notes.
Um, so that's another aspect of, of, of things. I wanted to kind of get the minds churning on at this, at this political event. Start thinking bigger. Start thinking with innovation. Let's not just address the problems that are currently happening. And this is another topic I wanted to bring up, which is the political conversations that are actually happening now shouldn't even be a debate. Um, one of these things is about guns in particular. Guns in the Second Amendment are just, they just should be left alone. They, 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 there shouldn't even be a conversation around it. There could be local, you know, uh, uh, situations, very local uh, in terms of how guns are being used and things like that um, and how guns are regulated. There are gun laws already, things like that. But I, I just think that the, conf even, even having to, let's say, um, uh, you know, you you always watch. You ever watch a debate on TV, whether it's like presidential debate or or governor race or a debate between senators. You know, if you watch a political debate, the people really in control are the media who are in who are not in control. They are designing the questions that are being asked. See, we're asking the wrong questions in these debates. That's the issue. People are debating about guns when that should be a finished situation. We shouldn't even be talking about guns. There is not a gun problem uh, in this country. There's a violence problem in this country. There's a crime problem in this country. It shouldn't be about guns and about white terrorism or whatever. That's the narrative. And see, we have to actually get away from even trying to respond to these kinds of debates or even getting getting riled up around these debates because they're not actually valuable. There, there's, there's nothing about it. Obviously, we know what the leftist authoritarian agenda is on guns, which is to take the guns away. That's all, that's all we need to know. Uh, everything, everything in the middle between, oh, we need gun laws, red flag laws, and mental health, and all these other laws aren't going to, we already know, they aren't going to stop violence. We need to focus on crime and violence as, as a, its own subject. Not about guns, but about the minds of a criminal, the criminal mind. That's the kind of focus we need to be on. And that's just one example. That's just one example. Why is it that we're even talking about sexualizing kids in school? It's ridiculous. Now, of course, we want to defend kids, and, and I'm not saying it's, a, it's, it's not an issue. It is an issue. However, we're so bogged down by these narratives around guns and sexualizing children and uh, abortion, you know? These are not the fundamental issues happening in this country. Um, that's like arguing about how the kitchen is organized when you are you lost your job and you're you're you're, you're going to lose the house you know what i mean like we're focusing on the little things in this country and i'm not uh disregarding or dismissing gun violence or abortion i'm not really dismissing it when i say this i'm just saying that the dialogue the forced dialogue and the forced debate on these issues is the problem. We have real issues to, um, to stand on and, and to, to uh, address head on. And one of those was, of course, uh, the, 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 the financial issue. The financial issue is a real issue. The energy issue is a real issue. Food is a real issue. How, food products is a real issue. Production of products in general is a real sound issue. And a lot of these other issues 
politicians shouldn't be the ones solving those issues to begin with. So the conversations around it is already defeated. The fact that there's the public school is as large as it is today when it wasn't ever supposed to be this way is the problem. Government is the problem, not the solution, just as Reagan said. And it's so true. So any dialogue that is going and veering in these different directions in terms of politics is just it's it's not even productive because politicians should have no say in the matter. Does that make sense now? Politicians should have no say at all. And so what politicians should focus on is making sure that this country is not insolvent, is making sure that this country is productive and secure, right? Because what is the fundamental aspect of what government is? Government serves the people and protects the people. Now, people protect themselves because we live in an individualist society here in America. Uh, and so I, I won't say that the government is fully responsible for that. However, this is the purpose of the government. The government is here to protect the citizenry, especially from foreign adversaries, right? And to conduct justice inside of the nation, right? Because of crime and different issues. And so uh, that is the fundamental purpose of government. So all these conversations around, around um, you know, whether they should we should focus the education system and, and all this other stuff. That kind of thing isn't really an issue. Also, like the military being being exported abroad to quote unquote, you know, bring democracy around the world and all this kind of chicanery and bullshit is really propaganda for weapons manufacturers. And now we know that, okay, and a lot of politicians are invested in it, invested in war. Um, and is that to say that is there going to be some uh, some far off country that wants to destroy America like Iran and, and they pose a real threat to our sovereignty and things like that? Absolutely. Sure. And can we do things to maybe um, uh, subjugate the issue? Um, and maybe is it military? Maybe is it intellectual and economic like sanctions are and things like that? Sure. I would like to look at that. I think that that's a real issue. Foreign affairs is a real thing. Um, but having our military and funding wars around the world and getting involved in wars and interve intervening in wars and changing changing world orders all over the place. Um, and, and this is more empire stuff. Uh, and I believe in America as a, as, a, as a great nation. However, you get desperate, you get like a, like a, like a, a, a domestic violence almost situation uh, when, when it's like a boyfriend who can't handle the woman because she's so gorgeous and she wants to go, you know, anytime she leaves the house, the boyfriend gets jealous and, and gets angry and wants to bring, bring her back home or whatever and, and then has this whole domestic abuse cycle, right? That's kind of what America's doing because America is not just insolvent financially. We, are don't, we don't produce anything anymore. We are beholden to other nations around the world. And so I think that that's really the, the biggest issue right now in this country is having our nation be productive again and protected, protected and productive. That's it. Politicians shouldn't do anything else besides focus on those two fundamental things. If our country has less crime, has a better cultural civilization in, ter in general, and, and is focused on innovation, technology, and, 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 then, and produ productive businesses, and, and, and exploring the new, new frontiers, and, and Mars, and kind of going along with a little bit of the Elon Musk model of viewing the, the future of humanity, and all the kind of things like that. Like we, in America, 
we should be invested in that. And politicians should be focused on just creating, I guess you could say, almost the, the guardrails to, 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 to create, to, to establish this innovation, to, to keep that flow of innovation going uh, while protecting the citizenry, making sure that no one's getting, you know, robbed and, 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 and theft and things and, and making sure that people are happier, raising the standard of living here so that people are more productive and more, uh, more influential. And all of these things are important. That's what we should be focused on. Uh, we can't be just focused on these small issues that I would say are run by the Council on Foreign Relations um, that are coming from newspapers like The Atlantic and these other sort of the, the, the Financial Times of London. Uh, these kinds of newspapers and this kinds of, these kinds of ideologies are being just blown up and attacked on a daily basis from the left and from the authoritarian left, especially, uh, and just because they're they're bringing it up in conversation and trying to force the issue and trying to force it as if Republicans or or the the opposite of their political spectrum have to respond to these issues. That is not the future. We have to focus on what is real. And by the way, if you do it this way, you are going to be able to recruit more millennials, more independents, and if you can get the independents and if you can get the millennials, if you can get young people to to open up to like, wow, this politician is talking openly about Bitcoin and our finances and energy and securing our nation, securing the border, securing our lives, making our lives safer. You know, people like to feel safe. Like I in Longmont, uh, for example, versus Boulder, like I feel personally, I feel safer in Longmont. I actually recognize how sometimes I leave my car, car door unlocked. This isn't an, an invitation to any criminal activity, but like sometimes I'm leaving my, leave my house unlocked or I'm leaving, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the keys in the car while I run into the, the gas station real quick and come back out. Like I actually don't feel threatened by by lo this Longmont community, and that is what happens when when people are focused on their safety, it becomes their number one issue, right? So, how productive can you be if you're worried about you know someone breaking into your house every second of the day? You're not going to be very productive. That's the truth. And so, if the if the government can focus on protecting the individual, then that can allow for a more productive society. The second best thing a government can do is promote innovation promote capitalism, promote the idea of commerce and allowing domestic commerce to happen freely and openly without regulation, uh, or at least regulation that is unneeded, unnecessary, which there definitely is a lot of regulation that is unnecessary. I'm not saying there shouldn't be food testing and there shouldn't be testing on, on materials and things like that or, or regular regulations that, to, that make the product sound, make the product healthy for the consumer, things like that. I wouldn't even say healthy because we don't, we don't have that. We don't have a health board here. Uh, and if we did, it probably would be lying to us like, like, like the NIH, right? Um, but you know, I think that if, if we allow that, we can get a fundamental grasp of what people really actually want. Uh, and so let's see, I have so much to share, so much to think about, but obviously there's so much going on around the world and I'm, I'm sharing all this with you guys because we have to focus on the basics and especially when it comes to politics, I think that that kind of conversation that I just had with you guys about what to focus on, what not to focus on, I think that kind of uh, will be a helpful issue. Um, and, and for this podcast, of course, just continuing to hammer a lot of these different issues, um, uh, constantly, constantly. Um, one of the things in Ray Dalio's, um, 
uh, video clip if you go to YouTube right now and watch Ray Dalio Changing World Order. Uh, that is just an amazing film. Uh, the I think it was six or seven of these um, these these concepts to focus on of a rising empire, rising nation, a falling nation. Uh, and these are kind of the measurements to take for what, where the country's actually going. And these are, these are the eight, it's eight, eight strengths is what they, he wrote down. So it's education, trade, innovation and technology, competitiveness, output, military, financial center, and the reserve status, which of course the reserve status is pretty much a result of the first seven. And if we just focus on those things and, and finding the strengths in those elements, then we can actually grasp the concept of what politics should be around. Politics shouldn't be anywhere near any of the issues that it's at right now. If it's not focused strictly on these particular issues, then we're really getting way far off track. And so that's the kind of thing I wanted to share. I do think y'all should watch that video. That's definitely some homework for you if you're listening to the podcast right now. Um, and I will come back to you guys and share some thoughts on what happened at this political talk in a few days. Uh, and I would love to just you know expand on it even more. Um, and then if things are, are brought to my attention that I didn't know before, I'd love to share as well on the podcast. And so appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, you guys have a great rest of your day. Peace.